Good morning. I sound a little gruff, but I feel better than the way I sound. Thank the Lord. Well, this is Thanksgiving week. And it's a break for, I guess, one of the most, one of the oldest holidays we have. uh, Anchored in early American history. In fact, tomorrow is an anniversary. November 21, 1620. You know, they're already planning the 400-year anniversary in 2020 of this. The Mayflower anchored off of Cape Cod tomorrow is an anniversary from 1620. So that was the official landing of that colony. Now, it wasn't the first English settlement. People know that Jamestown predated it for a few years. But Jamestown was totally different. Jamestown had all men. It was a, strictly a business exploration endeavor, and it was a disaster. People might just say, well, the, the, the Pilgrims was a disaster, but you know, there's a vice, vast difference between the two because of the motivation for both of them. Um, Jamestown was all about business and exploration, and people was going to make lots of money off of it. And it turned out to be that they had great conflicts with the local Native American Indians. The pilgrims, on the other hand, the winter was their enemy. And half of them died that first winter. Made mostly by the ladies that went and small children, infant children, really were at a disadvantage. The brutal winter they're not used to, so... But they made peace with the Indians, and then, you know, later on, the next year things got better, and they had this time of plenty, and so they got together and had this big meal. And you're going to celebrate that this week. So that's where that came from. Um, When the Mayflower anchored off of Cape Cod on November 21, uh, Miles Standish and, and a group of the crew went, ashore to see what was out there and while they were gone Susanna White gave birth to a little boy and if I'm not mistaken that little boy didn't make it through the winter but he was the first English born child in the new world but we know these people primarily for their faith they were called separatists they were not called pilgrims they looked upon themselves as People committed to God, saints unto the Lord, not bound by the Church of England. That's why they were called separatists. The Church of England to them was a little bit corrupt. They went up to Holland for a little while. They just wanted to practice Christianity according to their own conscience. And there was pressure on them to not do that. So they, with the king's permission, they managed to get a charter to go to the new world. As we know from the history, two ships left that first day, Speedwell and Mayflower. Speedwell took on some water and both ships had to go back. And then they kind of crowded people onto the Mayflower. Not everybody in the church that was planning on coming made that first trip. Um, I don't know how many of you have watched the monumental movie documentary that uh, Kirk Cameron how many have seen that is that all is that four people 
Wow. Brenda and I got to, man- we managed to go see it live. And I think it was the Bochelles that told us about it. So we paid, it was an incredible introduction to a part of history I did not know existed. Based, uh, the, the main point of that documentary, there, it, it's a, over an hour long. You can pull it up, Kirk Cameron, monumental. There's about a 15-minute excerpt from it that kind of features the description of this monument. And I'm going to show you the picture of the monument this documentary was built around. And um, boy, it looks like it's this way. But this is uh, an actual person standing down here. This is really kind of distorted because it's, it's very high in nature. Um, this is a solid granite monument. And it overlooks Plymouth Bay. And the woman up at the top is named Faith. In her left hand is the Geneva Bible. That's the Bible they brought over with them. The King James translation, I think, was finished by then. But the Geneva Bible predated, English translation predated the King James. Around these, there's four figures featured around this woman named Faith. She's also pointing to the heavens with her right hand. And the whole point is our found this is called the National Monument to Our Forefathers. That's the official title of this monument. If we go to the next picture, it'll show one of the quarters here. And this this is the man that is known as Freedom. What you can't or Liberty. Um, what you can't see is he's actually this is a lion's claw that's up on his right shoulder. To the side of him, you cannot see it, but he's sitting on the skin of a lion. And the lion is known as tyranny. So they felt like that through faith, the other three positions is morality, law, and education. Uh, We'll see another picture in just a moment. But he is sitting as a conqueror over tyranny based on a life of faith. There's so many nuances to this over here on the right is the official you might not can read it but it's the national monument to our forefathers over to the left is a listing of the passengers on the mayflower one more picture and then we'll go on this is morality you see just the early part of uh, depicted by a woman and um she does not have any eyes. Every, all the other people have pupils. And the reason is that the, the man who designed this took the whole worldview of those who landed at Plymouth Rock. It's internalizing morality, not finding her morality externally, but finding it internally by the truth. And, of course, there you see a little bit uh, clearer, the national monument to our forefathers, to the forefathers. Now I want to take you to a place in the Bible that kind of mentions something that is part of the remembrance. This monument was put there in the early 1900s, designed in the 1800s, and it was to remember the people who founded our country. I want to take you to 
Exodus chapter 12, if you'll turn there, to a place where there's something else that people remember, events, special days, and of course we love Thanksgiving, don't we? Turkey, ham, sweet potato souffle, pecan pie, it's great. Then Christmas, what a great way to finish the year, right? Well, this is, I hope it doesn't lose or have a disconnect from those brave people who felt like it was worthy enough for the risk for families, for even a pregnant woman to get on that ship in the worst traveling weather. Some of them died on the way, but most of them died after they got there through the winter. But I want to take you to a place in Exodus 12 because there's places where there's things that happen that God wanted the people to remember. Some of the festivals that the people of Israel were supposed to remember is Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Rosh Hashanah, the, the, the New Year, the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Trumpets, the Pentecost. But this is probably the most important day in Israel's history because it was paramount to them becoming a nation, a freed people, just like liberty is defining America, isn't it? A free nation. Let me start with verse 1, and we'll just read, and then we'll cover some things as we go. You'll remember that this is the 10th plague that God is putting upon the people of Egypt in in Egypt as a whole. Nine plagues before it was to challenge certain gods of the Egyptians. And they were all designed to convince Pharaoh to let these hundreds of thousands of Jewish people to leave, to be free. God was calling his people out of Egypt to go and inhabit the promised land. Pharaoh sometimes would say, okay, we'll let you go for a little while. Moses would say, well, that's not the deal. We need to go unattached to serve our God. So those nine plagues didn't work, but here comes number 10. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be the first month to you, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is supposed to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people they are. You are determined to amount the amount of lamb needed in accordance with each person will eat. The animals you choose must be a year old males without defect, and you may take them from sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight, just as the sun has went down. Then they are to take some of the blood, put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the raw meat, or meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire. This doesn't really sound delicious, but here it is. 
with the head, the legs, and internal organs. Not the way we cook things, is it? Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you're to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are to, where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. The blood from the year old lamb or goat would be the covering for the family in that house from the judgment of God. And obviously this is pointing to Jesus being the Passover lamb, is it not? But think about this. When the angel of the Lord moved through the Egyptian cities and countryside, he was not reading addresses. He was not seeing the names on the duplex, on the houses, the apartments, or the condos. He was looking for one thing. And that is, we can say, well, the blood. But the obedience of that family within that house to do what God told him to do. To apply the blood to the doorposts and to the top of the door. And this is the Passover meal that they were observing on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. This is accounted for in all four Gospels. And Paul's saying, I'm like an apostle out of the time sequence. I'm kind of born out of that order. So in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says that the Lord gave him a personal tutorial on that evening. Told him exactly as though Paul was in the room with those other apostles, exactly what happened. Let me take you back to Exodus 12 and verse 14. He said, this is a day. Now, I'm I'm continuing, but this is one narrative all the way through. This is a day you are to commemorate, like remember, celebrate. For the generations to come, you will celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. For seven days you are to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day, remove the yeast from your houses. Now this sounds pretty dramatic. For whoever eats anything with yeast in it from the first day through the seventh day must be cut off from Israel. I think think he's pretty serious about this. On the first day, hold a sacred assembly and another one on the seventh day. Do no work at all on these days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. In other words, they left that night, but the first seven days that they were on their journey, they were supposed to be doing this. 
Celebrate the day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Verse 18. In the first month you are to eat bread made without yeast. You are, not, you are to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the first 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. Seven days. For seven days no yeast is to be found in your houses. If anyone, whether a stranger or foreigner or native born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Now here's the terms. Because you see there's two festivals here. We, we have Passover. The Passover meal. The Pesach. The Seder meal. But the next day started really its own festival. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. And from that first day, a sacred assembly was called. And from that first day through the seventh day, here's the terms. No yeast found in your home. You couldn't eat anything with yeast in it. You could not do any labor. And the only thing you could do was food preparation. And those were the terms of the feast. Now, we don't read that in the Gospels, do we? We hardly think about the day of Christ's crucifixion was a sacred day unto all the Jewish people. Maybe when Jesus appeared to them that week and they were in a room all by themselves, maybe it was because they weren't supposed to do anything. Maybe it was because they were observing the Feast of Unleavened Bread. I would assume that they were observing this festival. Because it was bound for them to connect it to Passover. So what is the significance of not eating anything with yeast in it? Well, in some ways, leaven was associated with the pervasive influence of evil coming in and affecting people without even hardly observation. Now, I remember, has it been a long time, you haven't made any sourdough bread in a while, but that stuff is creepy. Because somebody gives you a starter. And that stuff grows. It actually is growing. But if you watch it, you can't tell it's growing. You put it in the refrigerator for a little while, and a few days later, it's like this, and it's like this. I was like, whoa, and we're going to eat that? And this is, this is what leaven, this is what leaven came to be looked upon. The Lord wanted the people to declare that their homes would be a place of righteousness. An alert system saying, we need to guard who we are. This is our identity. We left Egypt. Let's keep our identity. In one instance, Jesus told the disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, why would he tell them that? Why would he warn them of that? If it wasn't a real threat or possibility, how many know what he was mentioning? The leaven of the Pharisees was what? The doctrine, but... The attitude behind the doctrine was hypocrisy. 
He even identifies that the Pharisees were not real. There was a fakiness to them. And he said, that's going to get in you if you're not careful. None of us have any battles with fakiness, do we? But he was warning his disciples, do not go their way. Do not become more interested in your image than in truth. He was warning them. So in a way, the, the leaven was like, this is, I don't want you to have any influencing effect in your life that takes you away from me and away from your who, who you are, your identity. Let me take you back to verse 28. <clears throat> Same chapter. The Israelites did what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. And at midnight, remember this was supposed to be done at twilight. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh, yes, his family, who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt. For there was not a house without someone dead. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites, go. Worship the Lord as you've requested. Take your flocks and herds, as you have said, and go. And also bless me. The Egyptians urged the people, hurry and leave the country. For otherwise, they they felt like all of them could die. So the people took their dough before the, the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people. Fancy that. <laughs> We're not only glad you're leaving here, take this with you. And they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. And there was quite a group of people. Many other people went up with them and also large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough, it keeps mentioning this bread, doesn't it? Which the dough the Israelites had brought from Egypt, they baked loaves of unleavened bread. That had to be tasty. The dough was without yeast because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now, the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. And at the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt. And watch this last statement. And on this night, all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. That's why Jesus and his disciples were having the Passover meal. They were practicing that. And not only were they looking back toward that event that the Lord said to his people, this should define you. You're not a bunch of slaves anymore. You're my people. 
I'm bringing you into my land. You're going to belong to me. You're going to serve me and not serve Pharaoh. There's going to be a transformation in who you are. You're immediately going to be former slaves. Now you're the people of God. And this is what he wanted them to commemorate on Passover. The bread, the cup, it was all about Jesus. He redefined Passover. He redefined what the cup meant. And it was like saying, this is the blood of the Lamb of God who will be applied to your hearts and you will belong to the living God. Not exposed to the judgment that the Egyptians were exposed to, but the exposure of the final judgment will no longer be a threat to you. Jesus said such in his instructions to his disciples. I want to take you to 1 Corinthians 11. And we're almost finished. For I received of the Lord. This is such a neat way for Paul to start this. I received of the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, you ought to underline that. When he had given thanks, just a little phrase. Luke 22 has this phrase in Luke's account of the Passover meal of Jesus and his disciples. He gave thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. This do, what? In remembrance of me. And he says that twice. This do pointing to himself. And in the same way after supper he took the cup said. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it. In remembrance of me. And then he explains it. For whenever you eat this bread. This unleavened bread. And drink this cup, the fruit of the vine. You proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. This is the true Passover. Jesus is the Passover. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So then, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord... In an unworthy manner. This is not an adjective. This is an adverb. There's a huge difference. Because none of us are worthy. But he says the way you do it. Don't do it flippantly. Don't do it in a manner that doesn't honor him. Whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord. In an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. And this is what we call Holy Communion. This is what we call the Lord's Supper. But in some places, it's called something else. You know what it's called? The Eucharist. 
Where did they get that? Eucharisteo. Translated. And he gave thanks. It means the giving of thanks. Do you realize that Thursday you're going to be celebrating your own form of the Eucharist? And I really think that this is part of the communion that we may not really filter into how we respond to this moment. I I preached Wednesday night on developing a culture of prayer. Praying and being a person of prayer and applying ourselves to prayer. But you know something? I think that's going to follow a culture of being thankful. Because anytime we say, thank you, God, you're doing two things. You're praying and you're giving thanks. And whatever you thank God for, that's prayer and thanksgiving. And every morning or every evening, we ought to begin every day thanking God. Thanking God for life, for my wife. I thank the Lord for her at least twice a day. But it's just by, that's what I think. That's what, I'm I'm grateful. I'm grateful for her. I'm grateful that the Lord gave her to me. I'm grateful for our children, for our grandchildren. I'm grateful for the health I have. I'm grateful that I have a voice, though it doesn't sound very good, to share this. But I think when we develop a culture of how do we thank God for Jesus? We're about to give everyone a chance to do that. We're going to have our own Eucharist this morning. The giving of thanks. Our men are going to get ready and we're going to serve communion. In Luke twenty two nineteen. in fact, you guys can go ahead and get it. In fact, the word giving thanks is found very little in that context. Luke and twice in 1 Corinthians and one time in Hebrews. This idea of of giving thanks and remembering, do this in remembrance of me. I heard someone say on the radio they had never, this was like a popular radio station and these people have the means to go anywhere they want to and they're well into their adult years and one of them said they've never been to Washington, D.C. Don't tell me you've never been to Washington, D.C. I love Washington, D.C. I could go again and again, and I know I'm an odd person. I'm from the South, but I love New York City. I could go to Ellis Island every time I go to New York City. This is why we need to have a remembering of who we are as a nation but even more, a remembering of who we are as believers. Giving thanks. Giving thanks. So today we're going to give thanks. Listen, this is one of my favorite verses. Behold, what manner of love 
You want to help me? The Father hath bestowed upon us, or given unto us, that we should be called the children of God, the sons of God. First John 3, 1. One of my favorite verses, because it's kind of like he's like, wow. It's like, Larry, wow. Wow. What love the Father, what love the Father has bestowed on us that he calls you and I his own. Can you get any better than that? I was thinking about my mom, and I, I don't even know why it prompted. My mom was crazy, but crazy in a good way. We had a, a white cross that she had somebody put together. And, and this, the horizontal part was spelt Jesus. And it stood about this tall. is out on Highway 280. And starting with the middle letter S and going down, saves. Because I know I ran a lawnmower around that thing every time I cut the grass. And knew, do not hurt that cross. Well, years later, she graduated. She found her a neon store sign. I mean, those that still have this had movable letters and lit up. 280 was her church. And I meet people from Sylacauga. I said, well, I grew up in Harpersville. My, fam- my, my parents had a chicken farm. But my mom had this sign out in front of her house. She's always preaching to people. Jesus loves you. Do you know this morning, I was up pretty early this morning. And I ran by McDonald's over here in Five Points at 5.30 to get me something. That guy was out in front of Bojangles in the dark. In the dark at 5.30. How many of you know who I'm talking about? Jesus will save you. When I blew my horn really good at him, flashed my brights, and he was like. (laughs) I want to say, buddy, you got my support. By the way, that's when I thought about my mom. I was trying to think, what prompted me? Thank God for people like that. That, what, what What is in it for that guy? What, what can that do for him? Would to God that we have something in us that causes all to step up and say, Lord, what can I do just to remind people that you love them, that you died for them? I doubt that there's anyone here this week that will not pass somebody and engage in something body in a conversation that just may not know the Lord and you might have the opportunity to say hey just want to remind you this week of Thanksgiving the Lord loves you and he died on the cross for you would you stand with me